Other tone, 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 tone. This is a true story. Dryptomaniacs uses dramatizations, primary sources, and the research of black historians to depict real events and historical figures. Today's episode stars Lene Denise and Reagan Gomez. When asked to outline the invention of rock and roll or name the quote-unquote masters of their craft, most music historians will name any number of white men. A few of the most informed musicologists might explain how some white boys combined blues, gospel, and some other forms of music invented by black people to create a new American music genre. The truth is much simpler. What we know as rock and roll did not exist before one woman invented it, Sister Rosetta Tharp. She came before Elvis and Johnny Cash. She preceded Chuck Berry and Little Richard. I have a friend so precious. He's so very dear to me. How would you describe what you just heard? Hmm, that was my... My man and I, yes. How would you describe the song? Funky. There's a little R.B. in there, definitely some gospel. And I can hear the blues influence. Close your eyes. Go on. Okay, eyes closed. Michael. Hmm, they're closed. You've literally got one eye open. Sorry, force of habit. I mean, I'm black and I live in Georgia. Okay, okay, I got them closed. Hmm, yeah, I, I know this one. As you listen, I'd like you to focus on the sensations you get from hearing the rhythm from hearing her voice. I'm going to invite you to explore that feeling. That's Lene Denise, a global practitioner of sound, language, and Black Atlantic thought. She's a writer and an interdisciplinary artist who coined the term DJ scholarship, an exploration of knowledge gathering and interpretation of the theoretical and practical roles played by DJs, from party purveyors to archivists and cultural workers. DJ Scholarship works to restore the legacy of black musicians that have been whitewashed out of history. You're clearly familiar with Didn't It Rain. What are you hearing? Yeah, a lot. It sounds so, I don't know, black, raw, and rich, like full of pain and joy. I know you understand the reference points and you can trace a linear history, but Rosetta gives us a lot more and those are the parts we access through the feeling her music gives us. So does the sound feel familiar? Does it feel new altogether? It feels like a mix of the two. Like when you meet a new cousin at a family reunion or, or the first time you drank brown liquor. There we go. See, so now we're cooking. Yeah, that was the first song I ever heard of hers. I remember being in awe of her voice and that guitar. I mean, I instantly loved it. And then... Anger. Bro, I was furious. How could something that unique, that specific, that black, how had that miracle existed in this world for as long as it has without me knowing about it? That's the condition of black legacies. Hewless biographers and documentarians fall over themselves to tell black stories, but... They'll often forget to discuss their role in exploiting said Black artists. 
Look, marginalized people will often orient towards the future because having the ability to be concerned about legacy, even having the capacity to care about legacy is a privilege. The legacies of some of the world's most profound and influential black women in music have been left to white saviors and exploitive husbands. An essential part of DJ scholarship is understanding the plantation model that is at work inside the music industry. This is the story of a woman who sat at the intersection of Black femininity, queerness, faith, and culture. And because part of being a good storyteller is recognizing when you don't have the reins, sometimes you got to know when to sit your ass down, be quiet, and listen. That's why I'm honored to have a queer Black historian guide us through this week's episode. Ayo, Lene, take it away. I'm Lene Denise, and this is Dripdomaniacs, the unshackled history of Sister Rosetta Thorpe, the inventor of rock and roll. In her lifetime, Sister Rosetta Thorpe was one of the most famous artists in the world. But because of misogynoir, homophobia, and white supremacy in general, the first time you saw her name was likely on stage at Renaissance. Speaking of Renaissance... Wake up the group chat. Make your arrangements. Plan your outfits for Sister Rosetta Thorpe. Buy your tickets for the most anticipated wedding concert of the year. Sister Rosetta Thorpe. Devin, you said almost here two hours ago. What's the truth, Liza? Girl, she probably still in bed. I'm five away, diva. There better be liquor when I get there, bitch. I'm not going to no wedding concert sober. My lord and hope, girl. That's all I got. Juju, what time are you and Dots picking us up? Dots says early. He also wants to know why he wasn't added to the group chat. Obviously, ignore the last part. The dress I was gonna wear didn't make it. Damn, so you're not going, huh? Funny, Devin. I'm being so dead ass right now. I'll just wear something casual. Casual? See now, uh-uh, no, nope, casual. Here she go. See, this is that shit I was talking about. The lady said wedding eleganza. I want to see bridesmaids, organza, tulle. It's bridal henny, bridal. She gave the rosebush a theme, okay? And the rosebush, they what? Exactly, they stick to the theme. Rosetta Newbin was born in 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, to Katie Bell Newbin and Willis Atkins. Rosetta's musical genius was evident from childhood. Her voice was hypnotizing, and her mastery of musical instruments was exceptional. Rosetta's sound was cultivated in the church. Her mother was a singer and a high-ranking member of Church and God and Christ, Kojic, a Black Pentecostal church. By 1921, at age six, Rosetta was singing and playing the guitar in churches around the South with her mother. It's worth noting that the Church of God in Christ, or Kajik, was started by a group of African-American pastors who began following the teachings of an enslaved black woman after they were kicked out of the white Baptist church for doing too much when they praised the Lord. I mean, you know how we do. Kajik is now America's third largest religious denomination and the largest Pentecostal 
Oh, 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 I'm sorry, I got carried away. I'm supposed to be sitting down and listening. They moved to Chicago in 1922 during the Great Migration, a period that saw black folk move up north, both in search of better opportunities and to escape the red summer of 1920, which is a lynching epidemic that brutalized the black community in the South post-World War II era. As black people moved north, they took the black religion with them. The microphone will be on, the guitar will be warm. Bring your gifts. Salute the legend. She is the Hall of Fame. She is a rock and roll. Sister, sister, Rosetta Thaw. Wait, what's that picking up from your mom's? A wedding present for Rosetta and her prince? Her who? That strange man none of us know. What she get him? A radio. He got money. A whole ass radio? Like a new one? I keep forgetting y'all come from coins, coins, Miss Juju. We're, you know, comfortable. Not comfortable, bitch. Now, sis. Wait, so the vibe is gospel and rock and roll? Like, are they combined? Um, I'm confusion. It's hot gospel, Miss Thing. We'll continue after this break. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. The Church of God in Christ encouraged his congregation to use their bodies as an instrument for the Lord through song and dance. Kojic services were lit. I described the Church of God in Christ as a funk mobile, one of the first. Their sound was rooted in West African polyrhythms and improvisations, as well as call and response. It was an informal black music institute built for its retention of incredible gospel slash soul slash funk voices. What's hot gospel? Devin's talking about twerking for Jesus. We shaking our ass for the Lord now. The chick's been clapping and worship for years now. Where you been? Securing my seat in heaven the old-fashioned way. Nepotism? Bitch! Colonialism? I'm ignoring you two. When Kojic built a church in Chicago that was too big for his congregation, they brought up that little musical prodigy from Arkansas and had her give concerts. The Roberts Temple Kojic on 40th Street became one of the biggest congregations in Chicago, and Rosetta became a renowned gospel musician. Are you ready, Eddie, Eddie, for sister, sister, Rosetta, Zetta, It's a wedding. It is a concert. The icon is giving you both. Dot still thinks there's something weird about us spending money to attend a wedding that's also a concert. He thinks it should be one or the other. 
Tell him it can be both. He swears it's a PR stunt. Okay, and Juju leave that man at home. No, for real, babe. Why is he coming? He clearly doesn't fuck with sister Rosisha Tharpisha like that. I paid good money for those Club Rose tickets. I don't want to be standing next to Eeyore all night. Not fucking Eeyore. <laughs> One, he's my boyfriend. He's coming. Two, and maybe most importantly, I bought the tickets. No, actually, y'all made me buy these tickets. And we felt very comfortable with that choice. I'm down with blooming a new rosebud, but warn your man, your man, your man about me throwing ass for my savior at the wedding cert. I'm talking cheeks out for the Lord the entire night. I don't want to hear no back talk. In 1934, 19, Rosetta married a Kojic preacher named Thomas Thorpe and adopted his surname. Women in Kojic weren't allowed to turn a look. The sanctified folk wanted that clean, girly aesthetic. Modest, jean skirts down to the ankles, showing no sign of sensual or sexiness in their personhood. But many of the church's arguments were grounded in respectability politics. Rosetta wasn't with it, though. She didn't care about being a good Pentecostal girl. Rosetta began to secretly incorporate secular sounds and elements into her music by just changing one or two lyrics. So it went from maybe God is good to me to that man is good to me or he is good to me. Sister Rosetta Thorpe packed up Mother Bell, left her husband and the Kajic Church, and moved to New York. Michael. Sorry, I got excited. Thorpe began playing with some of the biggest bands in the country. By 1938, at 23, she signed her first recording deal with Lucky Millinder at Decca Records. They recorded This Train, a gospel song. This train is a clean train. This train. This train. This train became a mainstream hit. The B-side also featured a gospel song titled Rock Me. And Thorpe played an electric guitar in a welling, blues-inspired tempo that no one had ever heard. That growl, that deep fire, the church was scandalized, but there was room for interpretation there. Then came. I want a tall, skinny papa. Yeah. I want a tall, skinny papa. Yeah. I want a tall, skinny papa. The church was irate. Her willingness to play God's music in the devil's den of nightclubs and music halls caused an uproar. Their anger was a complex combination of patriarchal thought and specific type of judgment linked to Rosetta's progression and evolution. The church felt like they were losing their something special in her, almost a kind of obedience. Rosetta's voice belonged to their God and by extension to them. It was meant to be theirs and only theirs. So we know nothing about the second guy, okay? What happened to the first guy? He used to put hands on her. Fuck her. Say that. Devin, how do you know all this shit about her? And don't say it's because you're a rosebud. I've been in the rosebush all my life, and that's some shit I didn't even know. They're out? Of merch? Yep. I know you lying. Nope. Even the tall, skinny papa booty shorts? Those sold out first. The church girlie swore Rosetta worked for the devil over them lyrics, but now 
Now they want to cop the look. Come on, let's just go to our seats. The club, the church, the church, the club. The club, the church, the church, the club. She is the party. Sister, Rosetta, fall. Sister, Rosetta, fall. The church blamed her raunchy lyrics on Lucky Mullinder's band, implying that Rosetta was contractually obligated to sing any songs given to her. But gospel's first superstar never abandoned secular genres. Her music can go in and out of conflicting worlds effortlessly because she was immeasurably singular. Although lesser white imitations of her genius undercut Sister Rosetta Thorpe's popularity, it peaked in 1951 when two white music promoters from Decker Records approached her with a messy but brilliant idea. They contracted her to stage a wedding concert in front of 25,000 people at Washington, D.C.'s Griffith Stadium. Decker Records would then sell tickets to Rosetta's then third wedding and buy the rights to the concert music. Jesus, Lord. Fuck me. Wow. Rosetta was a stunt queen. That's the stage? It's massive. I'm actually very gagged right now. Mother said budget, and look at the flowers pouring out on the sides. I mean, it's just opulent. Who thinks like this? Her mind. It looks like a real wedding. It's a real wedding. Although the marriage was a theatrical PR stunt that most of the audience was in on, it was also a legally binding wedding ceremony. Contractually, Thorpe was given a year to find a husband. The church was elated by the news of her impending nuptials. Forced or not, because her lyric choices were not the only gripe they had with Rosetta. Wrap that chicken dinner in foil and put it in your purse. It's going to be a long night. How the fuck are there this many people here? The club was supposed to be exclusive. Bitch, I'm hot. Pass me that for a sec. Here, hydrate. Devin? Water? Nope, no water. Water means bathroom breaks. Bathroom breaks means missing mother. I'm not missing mother. Oh my fu- Oh my god, oh my god. Left! Left! What? What? You're left, bitch! Look who's walking past! Oh shit! Oh my god! She came! Miss Knight looks like money, bitch. She looks good. Yeah, but I know she must be sick. She's here to support her friend. Friend? Juju? Her friend? Girl. Rosetta had been in an openly queer relationship with her musical partner, gospel singer Marie Knight. Marie wasn't a footnote in Sister Rosetta's story. She was central to it. Rosetta and Marie traveled and performed on stages across America. The couple had met in 1946 and lived as openly as they could. It doesn't escape me that two queer women in love and companionship with each other had a direct line to a God whose doctrine was being used to persecute them. I'm just saying, you're friends with all your exes, right? All your many, many, many exes? Get her, Jade. <sighs> you shady cunt. You right, though. Come on, Miss Marie, Miss First Lady of the Rose Bushes. I know that's right. Yes. Bitch. <laughs> Did Marie just... Yep, yep. Marie Knight just waved at me. The queen's queen. I don't 
don't care if nobody shows up. I won. I really hope she's okay, though. This year has been really rough for her. Unfortunately, Marie's mother and two children died in a fire while she was on the road. Grief broke her, and the couple drifted apart. It should be noted that Marie and Rosetta broke up less than a year before her splashy wedding to... Russell? Russell Morrison? Rosetta and Russell? Kind of has a ring to it, no? No. Devin, come on. As far as I'm concerned, that man is the opening act, okay? She met him, like, what, two weeks ago? No, but for real, who is he? Like... What do you do successfully? I'm not even trying to be salty. His own boys call him lazy. Bro, that means the niggas that fuck with him, those guys, even they don't fuck with him. I'm sorry, that's mad wild to me. The blogs say he wants a high life, but you know the tabloids be saying shit just to say shit. Yeah, what they're saying is true. That man ain't bringing nothing to the table but dick, credit card debt, and stress ulcers. I wish she was marrying Marie. That would actually be really gaggy, not gonna lie. Y'all acting like mother is being forced into this whole thing. <laughs> Listen, my bell might take her out if she don't go through with it. No, her mama don't play. You know how sanctified girlies be in these streets. Why'd y'all look at me when y'all said that? Speaking of the original momager, there's the bride's mother. Where? Stage left, next to Marie. Look at the fascinator, serving Old Testament cunt. Dot thinks her mom's a little too invested in Rosetta Zsh. Don't nobody care what Dot's think, girl? Uh, for someone who enjoys shitting on the rosebuds, Dot sure knows a lot about our good sister. Yeah, Sprinkle Sprinkle don't like her like that. Why is he in her bushes? Rosetta's tea is front news on every paper. It's hard to ignore it. Hard. But not impossible, especially for a dedicated hater. That man complained the entire drive over here. Why did you even come, Diva? Like... Respectability politics profoundly haunted Rosetta's life, and her mother was its number one proponent. Ma Bell was Rosetta's first agent and subsequent manager. She had a vested interest in the image of her daughter's sanctity and holiness, even though she was benefiting from Rosetta's secular work. The contradiction of faith and scandal, of sex and secrets, become part of the black blues, black church sound. But Ma Bell was Rosetta's primary support system. She was her role model in many ways. Rosetta watched her mother leave her father and build something of herself. She witnessed her be abandoned by her church when they felt it convenient. She married her daughter off to an old ass man at 19. Not that, pack it up, pancake. Babe, that was years ago. That's what a manager does, okay? She manages. Ma Bell was managing Rosetta's image. Ma Bell was protecting her seat on the church steering committee. And I, oh, that's what Doc says. I mean, low key, high key, there's a little truth there. Him, not me. Dot said that, just so we're clear. What else he said? Don't, listen. The rosebuds always defend that woman. Maybe he's right. Oh shit. Here we go again. I'm gonna step back a bit. Has your man always struggled with doing simple math? Check the board. No Mom Bell, no Rosetta. Simple as that. Like, it's cute to be contrary or whatever, but put some respect on Mom Bell's name. No, I'm not saying I don't respect her. I'm just... That's mother. <laughs> Babe, no. Uh, Juju and her man want to be different so bad. Like... I appreciate Ma Bell, I do, you know, for clocking Rosetta's talent early on, but... But what? She's here, ain't she? Yeah. But is that enough, though? Honest question. What does enough look like for Black singers today? 
No, I'll wait. It's obviously complicated, but... No, we're 100% in agreement there. It's complicated. Of course it's complicated. With a supernatural talent like Rosetta's, yeah, it gets to be complex. It gets to be a little chaotic. My bell's always been there. So yeah, it's messy, but... She gotta keep her mama. Mother and daughter committed to remaining in each other's orbit throughout all of the shifts. We'll continue this episode of Draptomaniacs after this break. What if millions of Black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only Black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of Black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back into this episode. Madame Marie Knight will take the stage with our queen. Madam Knight and Sister Rosetta, no pair is better. Two church girls rocking the house. A couple made for music. Wait, I see movement. Is it starting? Shit, it's starting. Where's Dots? I don't know. I don't know. Wait, he's just getting his wristband. Why is she on time? She's never on time. Shit. Devin, it's... <gasps> babe? I'm gonna pass out. I'm gonna pass out. I'm... Babe, you good? You okay, honey? Breathe. Breathe. On a hot, humid summer night in Washington, amid a mass transit strike, 20,000 people attended the most elaborate wedding ever staged. Take us to the father, bitch. They brought wedding gifts, crystal dishes, TV sets. Rosetta was Cinderella. Russell was her apparent Prince Charming, right? I know how to marry people. I know how to put them together. If they don't stay together, it's not my fault. (laughs) Rosetta, will you have this man to be that wedded husband? To live after God's audience in the holy states of a matrimony, will thou obey him, serve him, love him, keep him in sickness and in health, and forsake all others, and keep to him only as long as you both should live? Your answers, I do. That's long enough. The wedding was a massive spectacle. Rolling Stones reports that her dress alone cost upwards of 800, nearly as much as the cost of a car back then. She bought it from a department store in Richmond, Virginia, where she had been previously arrested for the crime of shopping while black. Thorpe's stunt wedding lasted the long haul. Morrison would become her manager, and they stayed together until the star died in 1973. That's 22 years. Thorpe's very public nuptials became one of the first significant stadium rock events in the world. During a time when the idea of a guitar-playing woman was non-existent, not only did Rosetta Thorpe erase the myth by mastering the symbol of musical masculinity, but her blend of gospel and secular music was seen as earth-shattering. 
church people sing. They are in this holy way. Thorpe's 1945 hit, Strange Things Happening Every Day, was the first gospel record to cross over to the Billboard race record chart, eventually reaching number two. Strange Things poked fun at religion and opened with a riff that would typify guitar solos a decade later. Rosetta refused to be bullied into rejecting the thread between the blues and rock and soul and funk and gospel. Nobody forced Rosetta to have a massive wedding. They advised her to do it. This distinction is critical. There was agency here. Her relationship with her mother and her faith informed how she negotiated respectability. Still, she always made the best choice she could within the confines of what a violently racist world had made available for Black queer women. Rosetta knew the wedding would offer the relative freedom of public-facing heteronormativity. On December 4th, 1956, five years after Rosetta's epic wedding concert, Johnny Cash brought Sister Rosetta Thorpe's latest single, The Gospel Train. Cash then walked a couple of blocks over to Sun Studios. A bunch of guys, guys we now know today as rock and roll legends, were hanging out in the studio. Among them were Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, and a 20-year-old named Elvis Presley. After they saw Cash carrying Rosetta's record, they invited him into their little jam. Cash knew Elvis did a great impersonation of this black R&B artist named Jackie Wilson, so he suggested that Elvis do the impersonation while singing the song he just bought from a black artist for $25. The song was called Don't Be Cruel. The men were on a roll, pun intended, and went on to record 48 songs that day, mostly covers by black artists who were never paid, and a quarter of the songs that, quote, laid the foundation of rock and roll were by Rosetta Thorpe. But Rosetta never got her flowers. Sam Phillips, the man who produced the so-called Million Dollar Session, got so much clout from that session that he is credited as, quote, the man who discovered rock and roll, mainly because that's what he started telling people. Phillips, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Perkins were all inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by 1987. But Rosetta thought she didn't get inducted until three decades later in 2018. In 1963, Rosetta traveled to Europe with the trope of black musicians on a gospel tour. Her sound had been so heavily plagiarized at that point that Rosetta's popularity had dipped. Some historians cite her struggle to evolve with the times as the cause of this dip. Thorpe didn't get the same bump that male blues musicians did either because she continued to sing gospel-themed music. As their train arrived in Manchester, the only venue in the United Kingdom that booked the tour, Sister Rosetta Thorpe changed her opening number to the gospel classic Didn't It Rain as it started to rain. Didn't it rain, children? Rain, oh yes. Didn't it? Yes, didn't it? You know it did, didn't it? Oh, oh yes, how it rained. London ate it the hell up. The unique mix of blues and gospel booming out of Rosetta blew the audience's mind. That performance influenced a group of musicians who traveled from London to watch her. Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, and the Rolling Stones. All of them were in awe. 
They were all desperate to reproduce that powerful sound, which they did, or attempted to. When Sister Rosetta Thorpe played her guitar on that train station platform, she directly influenced the birth of British rock. Bob Dylan drew a straight line linking electric guitar playing in British rock and roll music to Sister Rosetta Thorpe on that train platform in Manchester. But one review of the event insinuated that Rosetta was a dragged up version of Elvis. That's an actual quote. But it's deeply disingenuous to claim that Rosetta couldn't keep up with the times when said times were deeply racist. The work she spent years perfecting was now being considered white. The inventor was now the knockoff. Rosetta offered them the real thing, not some cheap imitation. But white supremacy and misogynoir made them pretend they couldn't tell the difference. And that's on them. Rosetta died on October 9th, 1973, after suffering a second stroke. The church was half full. Marie was there, as she had been for much of Rosetta's later life. She took care of her right to the end. But Russell retained control of Rosetta's masters and, by extension, Rosetta's legacy. Russell took all he could, leaving her buried in an unmarked grave. Rosetta, like all the other Black musical legends past, present, and future, will continue to outlive any attempts to erase her legacy. Because, try as they may, their musicianship remains undeniably spectacular. Their legacy rests in the protection of their musical brilliance. That bitch owes me nothing, not a damn thing. Just walked into the house, my feet are killing me. Ugh, she was worth every single blister, bitch. Fuck, that voice. A complete spiritual awakening. I feel like I can conquer anything. I'm deep post-Rosetta depression, girl. Oh, and Dot says he gets it now. He says he can't even front. Rosetta did her big one. We have a new addition to the Rose Pushes. What I tell you happens every time. Something about seeing her live. I miss her already, y'all. Juju, when are those revival tour dates again? Devin, we can't. Answer the question, Miss Thing. I'm in the queue for tickets already. Honey. What, bitch? Were we at the same show? Did you hear that voice? Fuck it. Dot's handing me his card. Let's go. While mainstream media would have our icons reduced to tropes, we know better than to ascribe a lens that might not be in care of blackness. My specific lens wrestles with the politics of legacy. Who gets to tell our stories? Rock and roll did not exist before Rosetta Thorpe. I'm not being presumptive by stating quite categorically that she invented the genre as we know it. I'm Lene Denise, and this is Dryptomaniacs, the unshackled history of Sister Rosetta Thorpe, the inventor of rock and roll. Dryptomaniacs is a collaboration between Othertone, Sony Music Entertainment, and Queer Media. This podcast is produced by Nolika Radway and Moses Shoyola, with senior producer Janicia Francis, Managing producer Joanne DeLuna, production coordinator Homero Radway, and production assistant Jillianne Roberts Atkinson. Executive producers for this show are Pharrell Williams and Scott Venner. Our head writer is Silas Miami. Our writing team includes Roderick Morrow, 
Danielle Solomon, Dallas Rico, and Randolph Terrence Sturdivant. Our sound engineer is Marcelino Van Calias. Our fact checker is LaPortia Thomas. Music supervisor is Patricia Wangeshi Kihoro. The theme song is Freedom by Pharrell Williams. Special thanks to voice actor Danielle Solomon. This episode features Lene Denise as Lene and Reagan Gomez as Honey. Read more by Michael Harriet at thegrio.com. <laughs>